Well, good morning again, people of God. If you take your Bible and turn to the book of 1 Peter, toward the end of the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to look at primarily at one verse, and that's verse 13 from chapter 1 of 1 Peter. It's difficult to decide how to break up this particular chapter because in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 21, really it seems to be a single tapestry of biblical truth with multicolored threads woven throughout. And so I do want to focus on one verse, verse 13, uh, and have that stand alone for uh, a message that I've titled, What is Biblical Hope? During this time of pandemic, when life is altogether different for all of us, um, the temptation is there to fret, to be fearful, to even despair. And so I want to ask and answer the question, what is biblical hope from 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 10. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 16, with our focus being verse 13. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them did signify when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Spirit sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Verse 13 is the key verse. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation or the revealing, the return of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he who hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of life, because as it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Verse 13 is the key, and the focus in verse 13 is the hope, the hope that we have in the Lord. When you look uh, at this word hope scripturally, um, at least every time that it is used in the New Testament, this word is from the very same, when it's translated hope in the King James, is from the very same Greek word, elpis. Um, and it, the general meaning is a confident expectation. Uh, Peter used it four times in his book, and really the entire flavor of the book of First Peter revolves around hope. Peter wrote to believers who needed to be reminded of their hope in Christ because of the persecution. Though they were elect, they felt at times like exiles and they needed to be reminded. So I want to quickly share a few thoughts from verse 13, which spring from this question, what is biblical hope? and seek to gain an understanding. But first, we want to look 
at verse 13. If you would make your way there just to verse 13, it begins by saying wherefore or therefore. And the idea is the believer's capacity to persevere or to stay strong is based upon his or her position in Christ. And that, of course, deals with the first 12 verses of this chapter. A believer is to live out his or her life in Christ, and that alone is the basis for hope that ought to fill our hearts and minds with hope because of who he is and what he has done for us. This same apostle, Peter, summarized that in 2 Peter 1, chapter 1 and verse 3, when it says, according as his divine power, or in proportion to his divine power. Well, how powerful is God? He's infinitely powerful. So you could even say, according to infinite power, he has given unto us all things, not some things, not a few things, all things that pertain or have to do with life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. And so the more we gain an understanding of who he is, the greater we can access that power which he has made available to all of his children. Well, it follows. If I don't know him, I'm not going to be able to lay hold of that power by faith. And the more I know him, the more I, in fact, tend to trust him. So because of that, I am, the next thing in verse 13, I'm to gird up the loins of my mind. Well, what does that mean? Well, he's using the imagery of an Olympic type of a runner. An Olympic runner would never have clothing which um, would hinder his running. He wouldn't have free-flowing clothing, but he would tuck it in, as it were, so it wouldn't obstruct him, so it wouldn't impede him. But Peter says to gird up or, or, or gather up uh, the loins of our minds. That is how we are thinking. Think properly. Think biblically. In fact, it says in, in uh, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, to think on these things, those things that, which are good and pure and lovely and virtuous and of good report. Fill your hearts and minds with biblical theology. And so, Uh, Based upon who you are in Christ, gather up your thoughts, be sober, that is be calm, cool, and collected, self-controlled in him because you know that the victory has already been won in Christ. There's no reason, truly, there's no reason to be wringing our hands and worrying and fretting and fearing and all all the rest. Folks, when, when, when it says that, Uh, We can have abundant life, John 10, 10. And when it says that he who the Son sets free is free indeed, and that we're more than conquerors through him who loved us, and nothing is too hard for the Lord, and he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, if all of that is true, and it is, then where is the source of fear and fretting and despair. Of course, it's of the flesh. So we're to be self-controlled and not give way to those things. Then it says, hope to the end. Now, 
that's not a reference of the end of time, but it's, it's hope completely, hope all the way. Don't entertain uh, halfway through, uh, like Peter did, walking on the water all of a sudden, he saw and heard the storm and the waves and all that, and his hope, his faith, diminished, it dissolved, and he began to see. No, hope completely, hope all the way through. And of course, our hope is based in who the Lord is and the promises that he uh, has given. Peter focused on that, that secure hope that's guaranteed by God himself. And if God guarantees it, then certainly it will come to pass. We have an inheritance, as Peter said, which is incorruptible, undefiled, that fades not away. It is reserved in heaven for us. What a wonderful hope that we have in him. Now, let me give you, uh, if I may, uh, some particulars about biblical hope. First of all, I want to share with you uh, the basics of hope, the basics of hope, what it means. The biblical term uh, for the believer is really altogether different from the world. And so I first want to share with you the unbeliever's concept of hope. This is what lost people understand hope to be because they don't have a relationship with the Lord. They don't have the Spirit of God, the resident Spirit of God in their, uh, in their souls, in their hearts, uh, confirming that uh, they belong to the Lord and, uh, and illuminating their understanding of Scripture. They don't have that. And so they don't have an anchor for their souls um, in the midst of a storm. I want to offer three ways that an unbeliever, how he or she views hope. It could be, and many would say, well, hope is wishful thinking. Uh, I hope my, my, my favorite player hits a home run. It's that kind of an idea. It's uh, really trusting in the idea of luck. Well, uh, a lost person doesn't have a relationship with the all-powerful, all-knowing God, and so luck is the best that he or she can do. Or it could be that hope is positive thinking. Well, I'm just going to believe real hard that I don't have cancer, and then I'm going to be okay. Um, again, the best they can do uh, is just positive thinking. I've, I've literally known people who believe and who have said that just having and maintaining good thoughts will cause the difficulties to go away. Good thoughts is going to chase the boogeyman away. Uh, and of course, nothing could be further from the truth. And then the idea of uh, biblical hope is strategic thinking. Well, I'll just figure this out and I'm going to hope that there's a good outcome based upon how I have strategized that's going to position me to have good circumstances which follow. Well, of course, none of that is what the Word of God teaches about hope. That's the unbeliever's concept of hope. Let me offer the believer's conviction of hope. 
That is, it is a deep, settled assurance. In fact, uh, a, a Bible dictionary defines it as the happy anticipation of good because of knowing the, uh, the God of hope, the one who is hope. And so biblical hope is the settled assurance in the goodness of God, in the greatness of God, in the wisdom of God. It is outside of, of yourself. It's that calm confidence that following in the will and ways of God based upon his word, that is best and it will forever be best. In fact, it's the only way for any lasting assurance in your soul, no matter what the difficulties are that you or I will face. John MacArthur wrote concerning biblical hope. He said, hope is the strong and confident belief that the promises of God will be fulfilled. Folks, God cannot lie. And if he said that he came to bring abundant life, if he said that his grace is sufficient, 2 Corinthians 12, no matter what your difficulty, and he cannot lie, then owning that and embracing that is in essence walking in hope. It is recognizing that he's not going to fail you. Now, what are those promises? Well, that those who call upon him, Romans 10, 13, for salvation shall be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I've alluded to it in abundant life, in the here and now, John 10, 10. He said in Hebrews 13, he's never going to leave you nor forsake you. God is not too busy. He's not so busy and occupied that he took his eyes off of you and what's going on in your life and in my life. And he's not going to leave me. He's not going to forsake me. He says that I can have joy in the midst of difficulties. Paul and Silas in a Philippian jail, Acts chapter 16, praising uh, and singing and praying and having a, 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 a glorious time, even in the midst of difficult um, of difficulties. I heard um, uh, my wife, Kathy, allude. Let me see if I can remember what she said. Uh, she said, um, uh, raise your gaze so you can praise. Raise your gaze so you can praise. In other words, don't look at the circumstances around you. Peter, don't look at the, the, the raging sea around you. Keep your gaze. Lift up your eyes unto heaven. From whence cometh your help. And he's not going to fail you. He'll never fail you. And so it's really the idea uh, almost like faith. Faith and hope are similar, but they're not exactly the same. Let me explain. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, and now abideth faith, hope, and love. If they were exactly the same thing, there wouldn't be specificity there. 1 Peter 1, 21, the very chapter we're in said, your faith and hope might be 
in God. So these two words are not exactly the same or there would not be a distinction made. Here's the difference. Faith is active. Hope is settled. Faith is the activity of believing. Hope is the assurance of having believed. And so when I walk in faith, my hope is strengthened. My hope is deepened. My, my hope is solidified. Um, and my hope is in the character of God, who he is and what he has said. That ought to settle the issue. And so the basics of hope for the unbeliever and for the believer. And then secondly, the behavior of hope. We looked at what it means. Now, how does it work? And I'm most comfortable when dealing with theology uh, that it be practically understood. It's what 1 Peter 1.3 says is a living hope. And so I want to have us practically understand what and how does it actually work? How do I know if I'm actually experiencing biblical hope. I don't want to just uh, hope <laughs> I'm experiencing it. In other words, have wishful thinking. I want to have that settled assurance. Well, you can have that. First of all, you must understand biblical hope must have the right focus. Must have the right focus. First Peter 1.21 says that our hope should be in God himself, just like faith. It has to have an object. It's not just a th some kind of ethereal, um, wishful thinking. I'm kind of hoping, and, and, and it doesn't really have, it's just kind of floating around up there in the air. Not at all. No, it is in God himself. And so what we believe, that to which we hold, isn't static. It isn't dead or any such thing. It is alive and it is active because it's based on biblical theology. So I have to know what the word says and what the word means in order to act on it, faith, which will then generate the settled assurance that it is real, it is true, it is alive in my life. And so sensing the need for hope means that a situation in life is tempting you to fear or despair. Have you looked at the stock market in the last month or two? Have you looked at your uh, uh, 401k? Have you checked out the uh, food prices at the grocery store? I guess uh, uh, that's counterbalanced with uh, gasoline prices, which are going down. Of course, we can't really go anywhere, so we're not saving too much money there. But the point is that if I make those things my focus, then I'm not going to have hope. The Lord himself must be my focus. And so as a child of the Heavenly Father, it means that he is in any and every situation, I have access to him. I have access to biblical hope. Larry Crabb, the counselor, wrote, nothing, no problem in our circumstances or in our souls can keep us from living out God's purpose for our lives. 
Um, if we are abandoned to him, that is, if we're wholly surrendered to him, it's not the circumstances in life which are most important. It's what we do with those circumstances. Folks, it's not the hand that you've been dealt uh, using an imagery of cards, playing cards. It's not the hand that you've been dealt. It's how you play the hand which you've been dealt in life. It's how we process. It's how we react to what comes at us. As believers, we have the spiritual capacity. I am convinced of this. And, and, and I've been tested a fair amount in life with loss and with sorrow um, and with the temptation to be bitter, to question God, just like you have. And by the authority of God's word and in my life experience, um, I have been given the capacity spiritually to rise above the circumstances, to walk on water as it were, when storms are all around, I can be victorious. You can be victorious if you have Christ in your heart and you are yielded to him. Once again, Larry Crabb wrote a lengthy quote. If cancer blocks that purpose, that is God's purpose for your life, it will be removed, that is the cancer. If depression gets in the way, it will lift. If fatigue from poor sleep keeps us from fulfilling God's agenda, We'll snore with the best of them. If wealth is part of the plan, we'll close the big deal. But when illness, discouragement, prodigal children, insomnia, money struggles are useful to God in advancing his purpose, they will be part of our lives. We are not wrong to take whatever honorable measures we can to alleviate our suffering, i.e. medication if, you, if to treat a disease, something along that line. And we are not wrong to thank God if things improve. But because we cannot always understand what God is up to, we are wrong to demand less, and the emphasis there is demand. We're wrong to demand less suffering, to make it our top priority to change things, to be like the way we would like them to be, and even more so to question God's wisdom, to challenge God's sovereignty um, when things that are difficult come into our lives. Now, God doesn't create sinful situations, but in the midst of these types of things, my action and my reaction matters. God did not create the circumstance, uh, what is it now, um, 30, coming up 34 years ago, 35 years ago, when my dad, brother, and sister were killed instantly by a drunk driver. My dad was just 55 years old. My brother was 13. My sister was nine years old. God did not create that sinful circumstance, but how his people in the midst of that acted and reacted matters. And it reveals whether our hope is found in the Lord or it's found in our own pleasurable circumstances. Chuck Swindoll wrote in his book, Hope Again. He said this, 
If you want to smile through your tears, if you want to rejoice through times of, of suffering, just keep reminding yourself that what you're going through isn't the end of the story. It's simply the rough journey that leads to the right destination. Ultimately, a home in heaven. Oh my, what do unbelievers do? What do the lost, how do, how do they deal with tragedy and catastrophic events? Well, any number of ways, but all it is is a band-aid. It doesn't give the deep, settled assurance that God is all wise, God is all good, and he has a plan for his people. You must have the right focus. And then, secondly, biblical hope must be engaged. It must be engaged. It's, it's like shifting gears in a car. You have to push in the clutch. You have to engage the clutch before you can shift into the next gear. In other words, it's a conscious decision. And biblical hope isn't a passive spiritual phenomena or anything like that. It requires the engaging of the will and shifting into hope. That's very much what Psalm 42 verse 5 talks about. It says, why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted? Old English word for stirred up. Why, soul, are you stirred up in me? And the resolution is, hope thou in God. He's preaching to himself. I must hope in God. I must find that assurance in him and in him alone because I can't, I can't, I can't trust self. I can't trust other people to deliver that. They're not able to do that. I certainly can't depend on circumstances. They change with the wind. Who knew four months ago, three months ago, that we would be homebound for weeks and weeks at a time, not able to attend worship service together for over two months now? A third of the stock market dissolved? It, just all kinds of things. People die, most significantly, uh, tens of thousands dying. Um, my, we better not depend on circumstances to be better because it could be much, much worse. Folks, when you are facing Goliath in your life who wants to strip you of hope, you must engage your will to believe God. Basically, you're saying, God, uh, you have taught me in your word that you fought for your son David against the enemy. You did so for your namesake, for your own glory. Evil was vanquished. Righteousness was victorious. So God, I am hoping in you for victory in the Goliath I'm facing. And then you name what that is. Really, it moves past asking in prayer only, but in believing what has been promised. Now, to be sure, you can't just make up anything. Well, I'm going to believe God because he wants me to have a million dollars. Well, 
Where is that written? Where, where, what chapter and verse is that? No, it's not just uh, imagining what his will is. It's what the word of God tells you that his will is and what you can claim. In fact, uh, we were told in Romans 15, 4, whatever things were written in earlier times, in this, in this uh, context, the Old Testament, were written for our learning that we, through patience or perseverance and comfort of the scriptures, the word comfort there, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside, and so the word of God as our partner, in, do, in, in that dynamic, we would have hope. That is that assurance that he is with us in each and every situation. And so it's an active spiritual dynamic which must be engaged. It's memorizing and meditating on biblical truth. And when I do that, the blessed assurance of hope in God swells in my soul and I am victorious. Now I want to leave you with four principles that I read again in Swindoll's book, uh, Hope Again. And we're not going to turn to the verses, but I'm, I'm listing them so that you can write them down and you can, you can look at them. But four practical how-tos um, when your hope is weak, when it's threatened, when you're struggling in this area. First of all, let me offer through Swindoll's book, when our faith is weak, joy strengthens us. Now, Peter knew something about needing hope. He was in the inner circle for three years, a confident leader, even arrogant, and he fell the furthest among the true followers at that time. And so he needed his joy restored. So during those times of weakness, joy will strengthen you. Well, how do you, how is joy generated? Um, it's, it's generated through a right focus, rejoicing in him, thanking him, praising him. Uh, Kathy and I were reading our devotion, I think it was last night or a couple of nights ago, and, and I commented to her, one of the most sanctifying characteristics of a believer is gratefulness. When you express gratefulness, it just flavors everything and joy wells up in your soul. So when you're weak, let that be the time to rejoice in the Lord. Always, again, I say rejoice. Philippians 4 and verse 4. Also, when our good is mistreated, misrepresented, maligned, endurance stabilizes us. That is, when I persevere under a load, you see, I won't know if my faith is real and my hope is settled until I'm tested. If I'm never tested in life, then I really can't know that for sure. Uh, but when I am tested and I endure, I persevere, then that reinforces, that deepens, 
that strengthens my resolve in the Lord. So don't look at being mistreated as entirely a bad thing. It very well may be what God will use to deepen and strengthen your resolve in him. Also, when our confidence is shaken, love supports us. First Peter 4 and verse 8. Love for God, love for others. What does that do? It takes the focus off of self. It takes the focus off of woe is me and a pity party and and uh, having an organ recital. Oh, my liver. Oh, my, my limbago. Oh, and, and if I take my focus off me and I love God and love others, then um, my hope is in the Lord is reinforced. I'm supported spiritually. I'm, I'm, I'm bolstered during difficulties when I practice loving others. And finally, when our adversary attacks us, resistance shields us. First Peter 5, verses 8 and 9. And so when I'm tempted and when I fall, I can engage my will to hope by remembering Greater is he who's in me than he who's in the world. The Lord is greater and he is in me. And I am not a slave to sin. Romans chapter six, I'm a servant to righteousness. And so I can say, God, you have delivered me. What am I doing here Uh, out in in, in the backwoods away from you? I'm running right back and the Lord receives his own back with welcome arms. Um, He's greater than anything the enemy can throw at you. Folks, there is hope in the Lord and he is your only hope, your only sufficient hope for eternity, of course, in salvation, as well as in this life. Have you been sensing any hopelessness? Any sense of of, um, fear, fretting, despair, anxiety, frustration? Maybe you're doing just fine and you'd like to get out there and get back at it in this life. Um, Let your hope, the assurance that God's got this. (laughs) Let that resonate deep in your soul that you'll be reminded again, over and over again, to hope in him and not let your soul be all stirred up. Commit in a fresh and a new way, even right now. Lord, my hope is in you and you alone. You are the anchor for my soul. And no matter what the storm is, as I turn to you, as I gaze upon your glory, as I'm reminded of how good you are, how wise you are, I'll be restored, renewed, reinvigorated to live for you 
no matter the circumstances of life. Biblical hope. May your hope be in him and in him alone all your days. Lord, I'm so thankful.